Father, again, I thank you for this chance to uh, come and to get together, and I thank you for this big group tonight to just study your word. And as we're in Romans 13 tonight, Lord, uh, and we deal with two or three different uh, issues in this passage, Lord, open our eyes and our ears and our hearts. Lord, help us to see not the scripture, but you behind the scripture. Lord, help us to see what you're trying to do in our lives, and we don't want to line ourselves up with your word. We want to line ourselves up with you, which will do the same. Because you wrote it, and it's you, and you are the living word. And so, Lord, help us to see you live what we're going to be studying tonight as you take us in that angle of the study of Romans 13. And, Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. Lord, I thank you for the fact that it's hard for us to get started sometimes because we're so busy having a good time and laughing and talking and joking. And Lord, I just pray that uh, we'd be able to spend more time together than just this and that you would work out those opportunities. Father, again, I thank you for the fact that even though we're all from different churches, if you will, we're all part of your family, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to, like I say, we're going to take a look at it from a slightly different angle. Now, before we get started, you got to keep in mind, who is Paul writing to? The church, where? In Rome. Now, keep in mind, what's been going on between Rome and Jerusalem and the nation of Israel for a while? A lot of tensions. Remember, Romans came in, and they're in authority, and they've allowed the Jews to have some of their own, you know, regulations and stuff. But for the most part, they're under the authority of the Romans. Uh, the Jewish uh, people have had the issue of uh, if a Roman soldier said, "You need to carry my backpack," you had to carry it a mile. You literally had to carry it a mile. Is law. They could. They, they would come and collect taxes from you, and if you wouldn't pay the taxes, they would throw you in jail until you did. And and so Rome's been in authority. Well, this is a Christian church now. Some are coming out of Judaism. Uh, it was a Christian church, and it's in Rome. Uh, what do we know about how Rome's treating the Christians from history? Remember? Do you remember what's been going on? They're killing them. They're not treating them real well at all. And so you've got a Christian church in Rome right now. Not just all the baggage from what's been going on in Israel, but the fact that they're actually in Rome. And remember where we left off last week in chapter 12, verse 20. Um, and we, or actually back up to verse 19. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we studied that last week, a lot of us probably never even thought about the fact that this was written to a church in Rome, having to deal with Romans. Alright, and what's going on in that lifestyle. So keep that in mind. So once he's just finished saying, you know, over, don't oh, you know? Don't repay evil for evil. God's going to do that. Uh, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. It automatically goes into the dealing with. Okay, then as Christians, how are we to deal with the authorities over us right now and the government we're under? And in this time in which many Christians aren't too excited about what's going on in our government, what does God have to say to us? Listen closely. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do, to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. 
he is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, but not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you also pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, before we break this passage down, what I want to do tonight is, is I want to take you back and show you that Jesus lived by this. What we just read, Jesus lived by. And let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Mark chapter 12. Somebody want to read verses 13 through 17 loud enough so they can be heard on the, on the recording here. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. It is right to pay taxes to Caesar. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought him the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is that and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now there is a lot going on here. First of all, keep in mind, these Pharisees and Herodians, uh, they tried to catch Jesus in his words. What they're really trying to do is, here's this guy that's saying he's a religious leader, he's starting to get this following. They're thinking if they can get him to start a rebellion, if you will, to say something like, you're not supposed to pay taxes to Caesar. We're followers of God. We're not. They were hoping that he would do something like that. Why? Then the Romans would take deal with him. The Romans would take him out of the scene. They would put him to death. All that kind of stuff, so that they wouldn't have to deal with it. Now you've got to also keep in mind the Pharisees and them all, they're not real excited about the Romans being in power either. The Romans have allowed them to have some authority in their religious circles and all, but they're not super excited about that. Yet at the same time, they'll kiss up to the Romans all they have to to be able to keep their power and their authority. And they come and they just flatter Jesus. Well, we know that you're not swayed by man and you're you know, you you don't care what man thinks, you're gonna do what God says. Should we pay taxes? In hopes that he'd say, well, i got to be honest, no. That's what they thought he'd say, but no. What does he say? What does he say? Now, it's important how you grasp what happens here. There's something for all of us to get that most of us have missed. This coin has Caesar's replica. Before he got to Caesar's replica, what did he say? Why are you testing me? Right. Why are you testing me? What are you trying to accomplish here? I know I know what you're trying to do. Why don't you guys test up? But then he says something else. Because. Yeah, keep going. What does he say next? He says, bring me. What? Why didn't he pull one out of his pocket? He didn't have it. Chances are real good, he didn't have it. Have you ever thought about the fact that when Jesus walked around, he, he didn't have pockets full of money? Wasn't it Judas that kept the money? Judas kept the money for the group? 
There's a point where they're talking about paying their taxes and whatever, and he said, go catch a fish, and first one you catch, open up its mouth and pull a couple of coins out of that fish's mouth and went and said, okay, that's one for yours and mine. Go pay our, go pay our taxes. Now, I want you not to miss this. Jesus lived in full dependence on the Father. He knew that whatever he needed, the Father would provide. He walked around without any money in his pocket. Yet he was fully confident that whatever he needed was going to be there. Most of us feel confident when what? When your bank account has money and when you got money in your pocket. That's when we feel better. Jesus understood. My Father will supply all of my needs. The fact that I got no money in the bank right now has nothing to do with that. I want that to sink in. Just let, let the Lord just kind of speak to your heart about that. Do you trust Him enough that even if you had no money in the pocket, that he, you'd know He'd take care of you? So Jesus actually had to tell someone to go bring Him one of those coins. He didn't even have one. But then, like you said, He said, Who's, whose image is on it? Well, it's Caesar's. Well, give it to Caesar. What's Caesar's? He could have got caught up in this rebellion of, you know, they're, were they unduly taxing them? Oh, yeah. oh, a lot of you may not even realize how this all works, but the, the Roman authority would give the tax collectors the, the, the ability to set the tax. For example, the Romans would say to the tax collector, uh, we want you to collect X amount of dollars tax from every person. Say it's five bucks. The Roman tax collector, or the person working for Rome as the tax collector, which Zacchaeus was, were, a, lot of, a lot of them were Jews. They would... Whatever money they could get on top of that was what they got paid. So they would set it for whatever. Say, for example, I know Rome has told me as a tax collector to collect $5 a person from everybody here. I would come to you, oh, by the way, with a Roman soldier on each side of me. That's the way it worked. And I would say, Neil, sorry to tell you, but uh, Rome just passed it on down, new tax, and you owe 10 bucks. You know full well. You don't know how much, but you know I'm cheating you. you got no choice. You've got to pay it. The tax collectors were hated, first of all, for the fact that they were working for the hated Romans and the fact that they knew they were cheating and there was nothing they could do. Oh, by the way, when Zacchaeus climbed in a tree to go look at Jesus when Jesus came, it wasn't because he was too short to see, folks. It was more than that. He knew full well if he tried to make it through that crowd as a short person to the front to see Jesus, he might not come out alive. He might have got a knife in the back. And nobody would have known how it happened. Because there's so many people here. Zacchaeus was fearing for his life. Interesting thing, though, that Jesus put in front of all the people say, I'm going to eat at your house today. For the rabbi to eat at your house was a tremendous honor. That's why the Pharisees were always inviting him to their house. But in this situation, Jesus could have started a rebellion and said, you know what, they're charging too much and that shouldn't be done and try to overthrow the government or make changes in the government and Jesus didn't. Any idea why? It wasn't what he was there for. That wasn't what he was there for. <clears throat> Folks, I'm going to throw something out for you guys to chew on. I believe that we need to be involved in the political process. But I don't believe that we should think that if we change the laws we'll get everything turned around. If we think that we can, some some would say, legislate morality, we can get the right people in office, if we can get the laws changed, then this would be a Christian nation, you don't understand. Don't live for now. Don't live for this world. Live for the next. Be involved in the political process. God's given us a gift. He's given us the privilege of voting into office, those we think who are going to be doing things as God would want. But do not for a second get overwhelmed to the point that you think you're going to put your energies into changing what's going on in this country. 
because then all of a sudden you'll be living for a time that's not what we're supposed to be living for this world to come. 2,000 years of taxation hasn't changed. It hasn't changed at all. It hasn't changed at all. Let me show you another example of how Jesus understood this principle. Go to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, verses 8 through 11. Somebody else read that for us good and loud. This is when Jesus is under trial before Pilate. John 19, verse 8 through 11. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now remember what Paul just said. He said that all authority has been instituted by who? God. It's been instituted by God. So when Pilate said, don't you know I have the authority to kill you or set you free? Jesus said, you wouldn't have any authority over me unless it were given to you in the first place. So understand, it isn't you, big guy. It's God who's given you this authority. Secondly, that's why those who handed me over to you are more guilty than you. You're doing your job. You're going to be held accountable for what, how well you do your job. But God gave you the permission and the authority to decide the ones who handed me over to you, they're the ones that have done even the bigger thing. Instead of letting God decide, they've let man decide. But Jesus here says, you wouldn't have any authority unless God gave it to you. Isn't that what Paul just said? Folks, I want you to understand. Go real quickly. Go, then we'll go back to Romans 13. Go to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. God is the one who determines who's in authority. God is the one who's determined who wins the election. No, again, don't try to make it fit because it's going to hurt your head. We're responsible for how we vote, and how we vote does have a say. Yet at the same time, God is ultimately responsible for who goes into office. Daniel chapter 2, verses uh, 19 through 21. Uh, Daniel's been asked to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And so in verse 19, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He is ultimately in control of who gets into office. When the nation of Israel said, We want a king, God says, You don't want a king. They said, What do we do? He said, Okay, I will let you have a king. And they chose Saul. And God allowed Saul to be king, but then when Saul's time had come in God's mind, God said, Saul's done, I've chosen David now. All the way through, that's the way it works. God is the one who's orchestrating who's in power, or allowing, if you will, someone to be in power. God is in control of it all. You may not be super excited about who our president is, you may be. But understand that God is the one who has said, okay, this is where you want to go. 
This is where you'll go. For his purposes. For his purposes. Now, I'm going to share something with you that's kind of cool that God has done. Uh, last Wednesday, I was heading to First Baptist Merritt Island with my family to uh, go to Bible study, and the kids go to their youth and children's programs and stuff. And I was on the phone when I got into the van and drove off. And in the chaos of being on the phone, I forgot my Bible. Mm. I'm heading to Bible study, and I don't have a Bible. We get halfway there, and I realize, oh, no, and I can't turn around. So now I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm actually guest preacher for the month at First Baptist Merritt Island, showing up to Bible study without a Bible. But Becky reminded me that at First Baptist Merritt Island, there's actually in the foyer a table where people leave their Bibles by accident or whatever, and it's a lost and found of Bibles. So I decide I'm going to just go borrow, and Becky grabs me one of these Bibles from there. It was one of the neatest things that's ever happened to me because I got to look at somebody else's Bible and see with their notes. And this individual, whoever it was, they're hopefully looking for this thing. It was packed with incredible notes. But one of the things is I was just skimming through to see who this person might have been or what was going on. or They wrote something in John chapter 15. It was pretty powerful. This is what they wrote. They wrote, God has a purpose for everybody's life. And every answer to our prayers will be in line with that purpose. For our lives. God has an ultimate purpose for everyone's life. Jesus said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. The Bible's very clear that God has a plan for each of our lives. And then this individual wrote, and I don't know if they heard it in a sermon or will God open their eyes when they're studying or whatever, but every answer to our prayers is going, God's answer is going to be in line with his ultimate plan for your life. Way back when you're saying, what college should I go to? Who should I marry? Should I take this job? Every aspect of prayer in your life, whether it's for an issue in your health or whatever it is, is God's answer is going to be in line with His ultimate plan for your life. You may not see it. And that's why a lot of times when we pray in a specific instance in our life and God's answer is not what we would expect, it makes no sense for why would He not answer? Why would He not come through now? He is answering in line with your whole life. Not just right now. And I thank God that I didn't have my Bible with me because that was a gift that has really opened my eyes. Now keep in mind, as you just touched on, he'll answer as to who's in authority in line with all of his purposes for all the end times. And I'm going to be honest with you, without getting into too much detail, you want to ask me later, I can tell you. But for right now, I believe that God allowing Obama to be our president at this point is in line with what's going to be happening in all the end time scenario. And it's happening in front of our eyes. Go ahead. To go back to something you said a few minutes ago, though, mm-hmm. you said God is responsible. Correct me or whatever. That's said, fine, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, would it be more that we're responsible for who we've chosen? God just already knows. Because He's got the big ultimate, big picture perspective. He knows what choices people are going to make, and so he's orchestrated his plan and all the choices that we make so that his plan is accomplished. I would go with that. It's, it's, a, very, it's a very hard thing for us to, to, it's, to, it's to a, figure out. It's a subtlety, but it's mm-hmm. not that he's predestined. No, 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 no. It's no. that he's, he just knows all the choices we will all as individuals across the world make and how all of that fits into his ultimate plan. Well, that's why in the Bible, he's already written how it's all going to play out. He already knows. He, he saw it all before he created the world. He saw the whole thing. Right. So, yes. But at the same time, we are responsible. I was actually preaching on this 
at a church today at, at, at Central Baptist, and I tried to explain to him that the Bible is very clear that salvation is God's sovereign, awesome plan. You're, you're dead in your sins. He is the one who seeks you. He's the one who calls you. Yet, at the same time, the Bible says that you will be held individually responsible and accountable for whether you say yes or no, and you have a choice. The problem is we've tried to make those two statements fit. And you can't. How many of you, how many of you can fully explain to me the Trinity? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How how he's three parts, but one God. Can you explain it? I can give you my perspective. You can yeah. give me your perspective, but you can't fully explain it. But you believe it. Sure. What I'm saying is many people say, well, I don't know how it can be that God is sovereign, yet I'm responsible. You say what? You accept the Trinity and you believe it, except that they're both there. The problem we've had over the years is trying to make one, you know, defeat the other. Well, if this is true, then this can't be true. Back in, before Jesus came to the earth, the prophecies of the Messiah said that he was going to be from Nazareth, but he was going to be born in Bethlehem. But he was also going to, out of Egypt, I have called my son. Well, way back then, before the Messiah came, they are like, this is nuts. There's no way the Messiah can be from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, and come out of Egypt. But it isn't until later on that we all of a sudden now from hindsight see how that all fit wonderfully. He was from the town of Nazareth, but he was born in Bethlehem. Oh, but because of the fact that he had to go hide in Egypt for a while, out of Egypt God called his son. All of a sudden these prophecies about the Messiah that made no sense in time made sense. So what I'm trying to tell you is, and I think you're touching on that, we are individually and ultimately responsible in the sense of how we choose. And we have a choice. Whether believers or not. Whether believers or not. And God in His sovereignty already knows and orchestrates all that for His purposes. Now, but as the scripture says, all authorities have been established by God. He sets up kings and deposes them. So like you said, because you can't make it Totally. Yeah. So that's where we start to get ourselves into trouble is we try to take it to that next step to fully explain it. You can't. You can't. We can get close, but you can't fully explain it. That's why Paul, we've already seen in Romans 11, says, Oh, the depths of the wisdom and the riches of the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who's ever known the mind of the Lord? Who's ever given to him? You know, who's ever in his counsel? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him for from him and through him and to him are all things? Lay yourself on the altar. And he'll give you his will for each day. So, back to Romans 13. Jesus lived by what Paul is teaching here. He didn't set out to overthrow the authorities. And he submitted himself to the authorities. Why? Because his ultimate faith was in that even though these authorities appear to have authority for a time, God was still in control and God was going to take care of it. He knew the end game. He knew the end game. Now, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go back right over the section that we just looked at, and I'm going to break it down for you just a little bit here. Alright? Paul says, submit because of God, not because of Rome. Is what he's saying. If you rebel, it's rebellion against what God has instituted, and therefore against God. Is what Paul's saying. Let's say that again. You need to submit to the governing authorities because of God, not because of Rome, or because of the governing authorities. And if you rebel, it's rebellion against what God has instituted, and therefore against God. Even those things that we find unjust. Stick with me. Mm -hmm. We're going to come back to that, but yes. And I'm going to say yes in some instances, I'm going to say no in others, and I'll explain to that in just a little bit. If you obey the laws, they shouldn't bother you anyway. If you don't obey, don't be surprised if you suffer. That's pretty much what he's saying here. Yeah. I mean, if you're a law-abiding citizen, it shouldn't bother you, because they're not going to mess with you. If you break the laws, don't be surprised if you're going to suffer. 
And don't try to say, well, I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. You know, that guy that pulled you over for speeding, he didn't know you were a Christian. You might have had a fish on your car, but it doesn't mean anything nowadays. You know? Paul then goes on to say, since your obedience is to God and not just the governing authorities, you should obey when they're not looking. That's what he's talking about when he says, as to conscience. Since we're obeying because of God, not because of the governing authorities, you should obey when they're not looking. By the way, I'm glad my kids are here. Did you hear that? (laughs) If you're going to be obeying mom and dad because of God, that means you'll do what you're supposed to do when mom and dad aren't around. I'm so glad you were here. (laughs) He then goes on and says, oh, by the way, this is why you pay taxes. To support those whom God has put into authority. Now some of you would say, well, what if their taxes are too much? Do you think God didn't already know that? Don't you think God would know whether or not it's more than they, He would want them to do? And will not God meet all of your needs so that you're able to do it? Well, I got no money in my pocket, neither did Jesus, and He trusted God to take care of it. Also, He then says, give them more than taxes. That's the tough one. If it's honor and respect that they're due because of their position, then give it. Do you see it down there in the end of verse? Verse 7. Give anyone that you own. If you own taxes, pay taxes. If it's revenue, then revenue. If it's respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. By the way, Paul understood this as well. Let me show you two places where Paul lived by this. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Nicole, you've got a wonderful reading voice. Would you read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2 of 1 Timothy? I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You see that? You may not like who's in authority. You may not agree with their politics or whatever it is they stand for. But the Bible says that we're to pay for them anyway. Why? That God would be able to meet our needs. And if he chooses to do it through the government, great. If not, he still will. You need to have respect for those in authority, even though you don't agree. And it goes back to conscience. Yes. Because if you're constantly up in arms about what's going on, you're not living a contented life. And? And therefore, you're not, you're not letting God supply everything and not believing that he will. And if you then say, he's not my president, I'm not going to listen to him. The Bible says that God's the one who put the authorities in place, and if you rebel against him, you're rebelling against what God has instituted, and you're actually rebelling against God. Well, would God want me to sleep? If you trust that he'll take care of you, yes. Let me show you an instance where actually Paul, when a situation, we'd say, really? He actually showed respect when he wasn't getting respect. Go to, go to Acts chapter 23. Verses 1 through 5. Listen to what's going on here. In Acts 23, verses 1 through 5. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin. And he said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God 
in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered that those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Alright? Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you so violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, You dare insult God's high priest? Paul didn't say, He's not my high priest. What did Paul say? I was unaware. Brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest. I'm sorry. Because it's written, Don't speak evil about the ruler of your people. Here in the situation, the high priest was acting wrongly. He did something inappropriate. Paul jumped on him and someone said, are you allowed to speak to the high priest like that? Paul said, I'm really sorry. I didn't know that was the high priest. If it was, I wouldn't have done that. And he took a humble road when the guy was treating him wrongly. Oh, remember? Jesus, the Bible says, uh, he didn't speak. He didn't open his mouth. And he had, when, when they put the bag over his head and they said, prophesy, who hit you? He could have said, it was you, Bob. And the second one was actually uh, Joseph. He could have, he could have told him who would have, who was, who would have done it. But he didn't. He just let it happen. Why? He was trusting in ultimate authority of the Father and God's purpose. And in this instance, he was told by the Spirit of the Father, leave it, just take it. In Acts 22, Paul pulls out the Roman citizen card. He allowed to be the Roman citizen? Whoa. But in Acts 16, he didn't pull out the Roman citizen card and he took the beating. So I'm going to throw out a little conundrum to you, then we're going to get back to Romans 13. Remember back in your study of uh, U.S. history, in the Revolutionary War, England was taxing. They didn't like the taxing, especially the taxes on the tea. I mean, because those Englanders, they, New Englanders, they, they liked their tea. And all of a sudden they decided we're not going to pay the taxes on the tea and they wouldn't receive the boats and they sat out there in the harbor and then they painted themselves as Indians and dressed up as Indians and went out and dumped all the tea in the harbor. Did they do right or wrong? They did right. They fulfilled God's purpose. Oh, yes, a little quick. <laughs> Maybe. I'm going to say half. you're half right. Do you realize that at this point in history there was a huge, huge debate, and I'm going to put it nicely, a debate among Christians whether or not this was right. Yeah. See, because you had Christians who were taking this passage and saying, where does it respect the authorities? If it's taxes, where to pay taxes? There were others who were saying, no, I believe God would have us stop this. What's the answer? Yes and yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> yeah, where do you take a stand? The question is, is God wanting you? See, what we want to do is, we want to take the Word of God and we want to turn it into a rule book for everybody. Now stick with me here. I'm going to say something that sounds heretical, and it's not, okay? But if you try to live with the Bible as your sole authority, you may miss God. Because the Bible is an authority, one of our premier authorities, and you better read it and you better know what it says, but unless you have the Spirit of God show you how to apply it, you may miss God. I may have shared this with you before, I don't know, but in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says in the Great Commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's pretty clear. Jesus commands us to go into all the world and make disciples. In Acts 16, Paul is trying to do what the Bible says. He tries to go into Asia, but the Spirit said, that's not how I want you to apply it, Paul. 
So he tries to go into Mysia. The Spirit says, that's not how I want you to apply that, Paul. And that night, the man of Macedonia comes and says, come preach the gospel to us. Paul tried to do what the Bible says, but the Spirit said, that's not exactly how I want you to apply it in this instance. Those are the husbands of... Well, you know the Bible says we're to speak the truth in love, right? It's very clear. Speak the truth in love. You husbands, have you ever had your wife ask you, does this dress make me look heavy? If you are wise enough to listen to the Spirit, there may be a time or two that the Spirit says, this will not build her up if you answer correctly. <laughs> if you speak the truth in love, it won't be heard in love. Build her up and say yes, correct? If you try to live straight by the Bible without the leadership of the Spirit, you could do damage. To yourself. To yourself. And injury as well. What I want you to hear me here is this. Too many of us have been beating each other up. And that's why, by the way, we're going into Romans 14. We're going somewhere with this. This is very important for next week. If you can at all, if you're not going to be here, get the recording for next week. But see, we're about to move into Romans 14 where there are people that disagree on what the Bible calls disputable matters or whatever, whether or not one day is more sacred than another, whether or not eating meat is alright, or whether it's vegetables. And the Bible, Paul goes on and says there's going to be times when one believer believes God is saying that they're to do this, and another believer says that God's telling them to do this, and it would be in contradiction. Each should be fully convinced in their own mind. And back in that day, when those were saying, I believe God has said we're to throw that in the, in the, the harbor, and then others say, I believe God's saying not to, they were both right. And each needed to do what God said to do. We have to be led of the Spirit according to His Word. And in some instances, God will say, in this instance, it's okay. The problem is, we want the formula. Just give me the rules. Where is it okay? Where is it approved? Where is it not approved? Just tell me what to do. If we needed to live by a rule book, you don't need a relationship with a living God who's in you to lead you and guide you. And he said, I will show you. I will direct you. I will tell you. He will take you through. That will not... There are some rules that are no-brainers. We're not talking about the ones that are the no-brainers. We're talking about, as we'll get to in Romans 14 next week, there are some, though, that... Mode of baptism... Mode of baptism. Let's take that one for right now. Let's say we'll, we'll try not to get into next week's study too much, but I know what I fully believe the Bible teaches. But the Bible says that I'm to be fully convinced in my own mind, and anything I don't do by faith, it is sin. If someone else sees it differently, I have to trust that God who lives within them will get them where He wants them to be. For me, I'm going to stick with what I believe the Bible says. But I'm not going to break fellowship with my brother and my sister because they don't agree on the mode of baptism. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are issues in this walk with Christ that are going to be different. There's a very interesting situation in 2 Kings chapter 5 where Naaman has just been healed of leprosy. He is so excited about the tr coming to faith in the true God. He's not an Israelite. He's actually from Aram, one of the enemies of Israel. They've actually, actually, how he even ends up in Israel is they had gone in and taken this little girl captive and she's now a servant for him. And instead of her saying, I wish he would die when he has leprosy, she goes and says, if you go see the prophet in Israel, he'll cure you of your leprosy. He goes to Elisha. Elisha says, dip in the Jordan seven times. He does it. When he comes up out of the water, he's so excited. He says to Elisha, can I pay you? And Elisha says, no, no money. 
And then Elisha, then he says to Elisha, I'll get two more questions. One, could I have some Israelite soil so that I can put it in the sack, take it back with me to Aram, so every time I worship the true God, I'll do it on Israelite dirt. God says, Elisha says, take a sack. Go ahead. Take it back with there. And then he says, one more thing I have a request. He said, you have to understand, in my job as the right-hand man to the king, when he bows to the idol, the god Rimen, he leans on my arm. In my body, I will be bowing before this idol. In my heart, I'll be bowing before the true God. Is this okay? Elisha says, go in peace. Now wait a minute. God's word says, don't bow to any idols. If we were standing there with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're told to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue. When someone says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar has told you to do this, but tell you what, guys, why don't you just bow in your bodies to the idol, but in your heart just be bowing to the true God. In that instance, it would have been wrong for them to do it, because the Spirit of God said no. But in this instance, the prophet Elisha says, it's okay for you, Naaman, to be bowing in your body before this idol, but in your heart to the true God. Have we ever looked at that? It wasn't until recently that God began to open my eyes as to why there's this seeming contradiction. It appears that the prophet, was the prophet wrong? It doesn't appear that the prophet's not speaking for God. And then God opened my eyes and he said, Jim, Naaman is a new believer. The last thing Naaman needed at that moment was the set of rules. Naaman has just come to faith. In time... God will work and get Naaman where he needs to be. Don't hammer him down with a set of rules. Let him go worship the true God. In time, God will get... you understand what I'm saying? A lot of times when a new believer comes to faith, they're excited. And if they're coming out of the world, they're going to probably have some stuff that they're still bringing with them. And what we have a tendency to do is try to make them just like us right away. Well, you need to stop that. Oh, you're watching soap operas? You better not watch those anymore. And I have watched people do damage to babes in Christ by expecting them to follow all the rules of religion. It's a tool of Satan, honestly. Yeah. Because they get overwhelmed with everything that needs to change in their life, and it's not on the time frame that God wants to work on things. That's it. Well, it can be. I mean, I think there are also people, and I, I would put myself in that category, where if I'm learning something new, I need some guidelines. So, so you're, saying, you're saying that how God will work with each of us may be a little bit different? Absolutely. <laughs> so what, Absolutely. Do you understand where I'm going with this? This is our authority. But the Spirit of God will show you how and when He is going to work with you in each of these areas. He's ultimately going to move you to this place where you're in full obedience to this. Let Him get you there. Stop beating up other believers, and we'll get to that in Romans 14 in a lot more detail next week. But stop beating up other believers by whether or not they fully obey. How many times have you sat in a Bible study on Romans 13 on submission to the authorities and had someone say, do you go 65 miles an hour when it's 65? <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We have a tendency to immediately say, okay, if you're going to make these rules, do you fully obey the authorities? And we keep wanting to put people back under on obedience to the law. Paul is just simply saying to them, folks, I want you to, when you do what I'm talking here, keep in view who God is. I want your obedience not to be because the law says so, but because of who God is. You're struggling right now in Rome with this issue of the, the Roman authorities. Put your mind on God. 
Obey them. Submit yourself. Pay your taxes. Trust God in this instance. Oh, and then as we go on into verse 8, it makes so much more sense. After he's just talked about giving, you know, taxes and owing taxes. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. He says, don't hear me that I'm talking about rules and regulations and laws. I'm just simply saying, love each other. Oh, by the way, if you love each other and treat others as you want to be treated, uh, you'll keep the commands. You about to say something? Go ahead. I was just thinking in all of this discussion how... um, God has wired each of us so differently, and some people, like Chris is saying, want the, want the guidelines. Give me the, and and others of us want to go. Oh well, let, we'll just we we'll just love God, and it'll all work out. <laughs> <laughs> and God knows that about us. It's kind of it's kind of cool how He says that kind of in both ways in this passage. He kind of and seeing the people, the coin because Chris and I are both those two sides of the coin. Yeah. And who God brings into my life as you know, to help disciple and help along the path versus who God puts in Chris's life. And there, it matches up. Imagine that. <laughs> you know, with what those people will be able to relate to in Chris or in me. Well, let's just take our kids, for example. When our kids were little, and when your kids were little, you had a lot more rules, did you not? Yes. Because of their immaturity, there was a need at times for them to be have the guidelines. As they mature, we start to remove some of the rules and the regulations in hopes that by this point they'll still walk in obedience to what the rules would have been, but it's now coming out of their heart. When they're young, they don't understand heart versus, you know, it's I want. We have to make rules. In time, as they mature, the rules go away. So what you're saying is, is for a time there's a necessary... But in that instance there, in Naaman's situation, Elisha, by the Spirit of God, I believe, knew at this point it's not time to give Naaman the rules. For him to go back to, to Aram and say, can't, can't, you know, he, a brand new baby right now, you, you believe in the true God, awesome. Way to go, big guy. Go on back with your dirt. You know? <laughs> you know? Go ahead. On the one hand, though, he was giving him the rule. It was just, the rule is, don't interpret it so literally. But it's also interesting how... Because Naaman needed to know. Well, and they, well, it's also... Think, how did Naaman even know that that would be an issue? Right. Naaman knew in his heart he didn't want to bow to any false god. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think it was down to the heart issue for Naaman. Uh, and and Elisha knew right. in his heart he really didn't want to, want to show obedience and, and reverence for God. Go ahead. And, and I know, Jim, that we, we do... And, and I totally agree with you about uh, the relationship with Christ. But it is amazing to me how God protected his people through the law. I mean, that there was such safety in the law. And even today, even with our children, part of those rules 
are for their safety. I mean, it's it's it, it, it is a relationship. Well, I think that's actually part of why the Bible says, "Honor your father and mother, and you'll live long." It's simply because mom and dad have learned that sticking a screwdriver in the electric socket is not a good thing to do, right? You, you listen to mom and dad. You, you look before you cross the street. You right. can't walk on the water, even though it looks like glass, you know, and that kind of stuff. That's part of it. You're right. There is some safety in it. But what I'm saying is, is I have seen too much damage done to the body of Christ over the years by people taking the Bible and saying, this is what it says, you have to go do it. And, and let's say we'll get into that a lot more. But what I want you to, to, to try to grasp here is the fact that Paul is, and this is the big part of where we're going here, Paul is saying you need to be doing what you're doing with a big sovereign who's going to take care of you, God, in mind. Don't get all caught up about the people in authority and how bad their government is and all that kind of stuff. God's got it. They may triple our taxes in the years to come. I hope not, but, you know, they may. And we get all fretted about it. But you know what? My God has already said that if I need it, he'll provide it. And he's the one who's given authority. And if they do wrong and triple tax us, God's still going to pay my bills. God's going to still pay my bills. Because God's the one that's in ultimate authority. This is what looking at all this through a view of God. And that's how he wraps this chapter up. Let me read you my notes here and kind of summarize here as we're about to see in 11 through 14. Look closely. Paul says to do these things because of and with the view of the imminency of Jesus' return. Keep this in mind, he says. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer than now, this is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, praise the Lord. But day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Don't act in the flesh. Act in the spirit. That's what he's saying. But he's doing, saying, keeping in mind, that the, keeping the imminency of the return of Jesus Christ in mind. Now, Jesus did not return in Paul's lifetime, but Paul lived, and you have to understand, Paul's the one who'd been taught by Jesus face to face. Paul lived with an expectation that Jesus could return in his lifetime. Well, Jesus took him in his lifetime. He yeah, he's definitely going to return in all of our lifetimes yeah. in that sense. Mm-hmm. But he was even picturing the rapture of the church, right. is what he was picturing. And so he says to clothe ourselves with Jesus Christ. Any idea what that means? Anybody, can you? How would you put into words how to describe clothing yourselves with Jesus? I just think of, of this spotless garment that he's put on us. Okay. He's our covering. It's definitely he's our covering, but how does that apply when the rubber hits the road on the daily life? When you're in the Word, uh, it's it too is that form of garment that you're putting on, the helmet, the shield, the, um, you're clothing yourself in the Word. Okay, that's part of it. Keep going. Because this is the reason I'm asking this is this is where most Christians struggle. We know what the Bible says for the most part. We know what we ought to do. For the most part, if I sit here and say this is what the Bible says we need to do, the truth, you all say, Amen, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. How, how's that working out for you? Most people would say, Well, be honest with you, I, I kind of get in the flesh a lot more than in the spirit. That's partly because we really don't know what it means to be in the spirit. 
I mean, let's be really honest. When it says Paul was, I'm sorry, John on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. How many of you actually know what that means? We've seen some people that say this is what in the Spirit is, and it looks like barking dogs and laughter and falling all over the place. And by the way, that's not who, who the Spirit is, okay? Let me just tell you right now, I know Jesus, and I know the Holy Spirit, and He's not crazy. He's not some coot that's going to make you bark like a dog or roll around on the floor. That's not who He is. He gets no pleasure in knocking you down on the ground and all this kind of stuff. That's not who He is. So when you hear someone say, well, I was in the Spirit, no, don't, don't go there. But what does it mean? Because of the wackos, we're afraid of being in the Spirit, being clothed in Jesus Christ. Does anybody know what that means? Yeah, living in peace and contentment. All right, living in peace and contentment. Submission to him and communication with him. Okay, we're getting there now. Submission to him, communication with him. We're missing. There it is. Faith. It's the dependence. And then manifested in peace and, and the other. But you can't just say, well, I'm going to be peaceful. No. <laughs> no. You can't. I don't care how much you try. You can't. Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and following, your, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and then He gives you the peace that passes understanding. There's a transaction, but the transaction occurs when you give it to Him. You might just find out tomorrow that they are going to triple taxes. And you're at trouble paying your taxes this year. You have to take out a loan, maybe even to pay your taxes. Who knows what the deal is in your situation. Now the taxes, you're going to, your first reaction is going to be, can't do this. Exactly. How you put on Jesus Christ. He's already there. He already lives within you. Is you let him take it. Submit to him. Dependence. You know, even that thought gives you a sense of peace and contentment. Just the yes. thought. Just for you to say that. Remember when your kids were little and you were wearing a long skirt? And sometimes you'd be in public and someone would come up to say hi to your little kid. What did they do? I'm not talking about Scott wearing the little big, the big skirt. I'm talking about Martha. But um, you remember how, you can picture remember when your kids used to back up into your skirt? Remember that? Because of the fear or what was going They sometimes would back up into your skirt just for that. That's that picture. That's the picture. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already there. Lord, you got this. You might have the image of Jesus saying, how he would have gathered Israel under his wing as little chicks, mother hen will do it. Safety under those wings. For so long we've been told, well, God wants me to do my part. Your part is to trust him. Trust him. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to do anything. Trust him. When you get into that trusting relationship, he may then say, here's what I want you to do now. Once he knows you trust him. But until then, don't try to do anything. But just put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Just trust that He's going to do it. I'll go to John 16. I believe God wants it. How are we doing time on us here, by the way? We're doing five till eight. Good deal. Jesus said, look at verse 23. In that day, he's talking when the Holy Spirit comes, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. 
Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world and now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Look at what Jesus says here. I'm not saying that I'm going to ask the Father on your behalf. See, for a lot of years, and I myself unfortunately have done the same thing. We've heard preachers and teachers talk about how, how God was going to judge us in His wrath. And then Jesus interceded on our behalf. And He did at the cross. The Father, His wrath was, was atoned for because of what Jesus did. But many of us unfortunately still feel like that the, Jesus has to intercede on our behalf continually. No, you have, because we're in Him now. I'm in Christ, and He's in the Father, and the Father's in us, and, I'm, and we're, we're just, we're in Christ. He says, on that day, you don't, I don't have to ask on your behalf anymore. You can talk to the Father yourself. Why? Hang, hang on one second. He, because He loves you, because you have believed in Me. Folks, yes, at one point, Jesus took the wrath of the Father for you. But if you've entered into this relationship... Yes, the Bible says that He's interceding on our behalf. But do not think it's in the sense of, don't get them, God. They're covered by my blood. I know I used to preach and teach that when I sin now as a Christian, Satan would stand there and say, well, you need to get them. And God says, oh, man, I need to get them. And then Jesus says, no, Father, look at my hands. He's one of mine. And He appeased God's wrath. No, God's wrath has been totally appeased when it comes to Jim Johnson. I can go straight to the Father because of what Jesus has done. I, before I was saved, I had never asked anything in His name, but now I can ask in His name. I'm in Him, in His authority, in His permission. So are you. So understand that you don't have to tiptoe or jump through any hoops in order for God and hopes that God would do something for you. Because of Jesus, the Father loves you. The Father loves you. But it doesn't look like He loves me, right? Don't let circumstances or feelings or anything like that determine whether or not God, God. God is God and the word is true. That's how you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You just totally rest and depend. I mean, go ahead. I, I have just been noticing recently a number of uh, pastors, people, no, no longer praying in Jesus' name. Hmm. And so my curiosity is because he, he does say to ask in my name in anything um, although now what we're reading right here is it's saying well, you can come to the Father right the, 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 only, the only thing that he's, when he's talking about in my name he's simply talking because of the relationship we have with him we can, we're going in his name let me give you an example let's just say you're working in your kitchen and uh, pipe breaks and uh, let's just say I'm, I'm doing it. I'm working in this kitchen and thinking of pipe breaks, and I'm now holding the water in my hand, and I can't go anywhere. I say to AJ, AJ, run down the street to the hardware store and go get this wrench. And he goes, well, Dad, I don't have any money. And I said, look, I can't get my wallet for you right now. I can't move. Go. Tell him that I sent you. Now, if I've got a relationship already developed with this hardware store, and they know me, 
AJ will go and say, my dad says that he needs this wrench. He's going in my name, with my permission and my authority, because of our relationship. Do you understand? He's not going in his name. He's going, who are you? I'm Andrew. That means nothing to us. Well, I'm Jim's son, and he sent me. You got it. He said, I'll pay you later. You understand the difference? So when Jesus said, ask in my name, pray in my name, we've turned it into, say the magic words, in Jesus' name. There's nothing wrong with saying in Jesus' name, but the whole issue is just simply, I'm able to pray because of my relationship with Jesus. I can go directly to the Father, not because of my, hey, this is Jim Johnson here, God. That means nothing. But because of the fact that Jim Johnson is in Christ, I can go straight to him and I'm in praying in Jesus' name. So every time I pray, whether I finish with Jesus' name or not, I'm praying in Jesus' name. It doesn't hurt to still say it at the end to remind us <laughs> because it's because of Jesus and not because of us. But there's no magic formula. There's no magic formula. I was thinking of John 14, 20 and following the whole time you were talking about the passage we just read in John 16. And it says, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me. You even referred to this. And I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And to me, that just is such a beautiful picture of how we're wrapped up in the Father, in the Spirit, in the Son, covered by God um, in his grace. But listen closely. That verse she just read, though, whoever has my, or obeys my commands is the one who loves me. We've read it wrong for a long time. You know what his command is? Love to love one another and to believe in Jesus. That's his command. As you go back and you look at all the places where he talks about command, it's believing in him. In John chapter 6, verse 28, they came and they said to Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? What's he looking for from us? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, believe in the one he sent. What are his commands? What does he want us to do? Believe in the one he sent. And if you obey my command, which is believe in me, my Father will... Join you right up with us, and you're good. So folks, don't let any debt remain outstanding. The Bible not saying you should never have a debt. I mean, sometimes that's going to happen. They said don't leave it outstanding. Oh, there's only one debt you should always make sure it never fully gets paid. And that's the debt to love each other. That's the debt to love each other. Why? Because that's how God's going to treat us. He'll always be continually loving us. And keep in mind that it's time to wake up from our slumber. The church today has been hitting the snooze alarm way too much. Hitting the snooze alarm way too much. That's not waking up. That's just rolling over. It's getting real close, folks. It's getting very, very, very close. Return to Jesus. With that in mind, live with a trust in Him. How will that manifest for each of you? We'll talk about that next week. Because how it may manifest for you may not be how it manifests for me and so on. Right now you just got to grasp the fact that He loves you. You're in Him. And He's going to take care of you. We can sit here and think, well man, I hate the government. God put government in authority. So just submit yourself to it. Do what it says. Unless, of course, they tell you to do something the Bible says not to do. That's hopefully a no-brainer. If they said you can't ever preach in Jesus' name anymore, I'm going to still do it. You know, if they're going to say you can't say certain things or sins anymore, I still will. But when it comes to the other stuff, I may not agree, but I'm just going to say, you know what, i got a big God, he's going to take care of it. And one day, 
Jesus is going to be sitting in that place of authority. And I won't have an issue with anything. Amen. Father, again, I thank you for this chance to study your word. I thank you for the fact that uh, you're able to just help us to see things in a fresh new way and, and, and at the same time reinforce some things that you've taught us over the years. Lord, may it be about you, not just about your word, but be about you and your word as you lead us in how to apply it. Lord, Lord, bring us back next week, studied up on Romans 14, so that we can apply the truths. And Father, I thank you for the fact that you are coming to get us real soon. Some of us, you may come get us before the rapture of the church, and some of us might see the rapture of the church. Whatever it is, Lord, may we be living with excitement and anticipation of your return, but also may we be totally dependent on you. And that's why you said when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. May it least be with this group here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.